Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me for our weekly bullshit, pre-election, brain-dead, AOL-era, legacy media, putrid stuff, mushroom fuckfest, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I just wonder if I was really invited to this party or if I showed up to talk to the regulators. I could so see you just hanging out, sitting on the windowsill, <laughs> commenting like some sort of omnipresent Swede. Anyway, we are back this week to discuss the latest episodes in two series that are both nearing their end, Succession and Barry. And just like the order that they air on the HBO, we will once again start off with Succession. And this week's episode was titled Tailgate Party. Now, I'm going to kind of go off script, so to speak, here, just to converse with you, Brian, for a moment here. I was thinking about this, that pretty much from, like, even though I think the first two episodes were fine, I'm actually shocked that I actually have read or seen people who didn't really like the second episode of the season that much, and I'm like, oh, you're silly. But from the third episode on, I've noticed that every episode has at least one, if not two or more, real kind of emotional wallop kind of moments um, because we're seeing these characters really being um, put through their paces and really, really dealing with stuff. Obviously a lot of that has been due to the trauma of their father's death, but obviously there's other things going on as well because these, and I'm really referring to be clear, I'm referring to the three principles at this point, which is Kendall, Shiv and Roman in one way or another, these were all damaged people before that, some perhaps more than others, but still they all kind of shared that. Um, and it's been interesting because we've watched how, you know, Roman seems to have these little outburst moments that are kind of really kind of laying his soul bare in a way that we had not really seen that much of in the previous seasons, although there were definitely glimpses. Kendall is kind of the 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 open book of depression and misery, but he's always, he's been that way since season, especially since the end of season one. Um, but when we get to this episode, and even though there's certainly there is at least one or one and a half major Roman moments in this episode, this one I thought was interesting. Oh, about to say the bad word on the podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was more interesting because. It, it felt like it was deliberately structured around that because the episode is very specifically bookended and the spine of the entire episode flows through the Shiv and Tom relationship. And I, everything from the way earlier and later scenes parallel each other that there are, you know, there are, you know, everything from jokes that, that don't really land and some are, are darker and worse than others and how you can be at a high point here, but maybe it's a facade because of the low point you are there. And the fact that quite frankly, the, the episode essentially begins, um, 
in a sort of good place, and it ends in a sort of bad place. And I, I, I just, I mean, obviously we're going to do the rundown of the entire episode, and we'll go through all those moments, but I kind of wanted just to stick, step back and talk to you for a moment, because one of th- that that is what I... I will say I genuinely loved about this episode and I'm talking about the through line and all the scenes, not just the scene, but all the scenes between Shiv and Tom, I thought were, they went beyond being a microcosm of their previous relationship before this episode, because it was almost as if they had um, started almost a new relationship when this episode begins. And so it's almost like we see, the, the beginning, middle, and end of a relationship all in one episode. And I think that's, to do that with established characters we've seen for the last four seasons, I thought was, once again, and we're, we're, we're ringing this bell all season long, I know, really, really impressive. And, you know, I don't, I haven't looked to see, you know, how the high, how high this episode is like, you know, ranked on IMDb or, or, or what the reviews were from other sources, because I don't read those things. But I have to think, Outside of maybe the death of Logan Roy episode, this might be considered like so far that maybe like the second best episode of the season. I think I, I kind of feel that way about it right now, at least. Yeah, I, I had similarly high feelings. Uh, and what what was uh, amazing about it is people overuse the term bottle episode. And this really isn't a bottle episode, but it really is the first time that we sort of had a whole episode set in one of the characters that's not Logan Roy's house. And this is Tom and Shiv's abode where the party is. They agree to host it and it's all taken place where they live. Like it's all of this stuff is in their home, which it creates a, a dynamic from the very beginning of tension running through, um, that as things occur throughout the episode, I think had this occurred somewhere else, I don't know that the cuts would have been as deep and the reaction would have been as deep, but you have them coming back together, you know, agreeing to host this party and doing it, you know, in the place they live and, and presumably will share And because it all takes place there and it starts to become public and ends privately terribly, I thought it was really, really effective. And the, the, the thought I had, um, we don't know what else is coming, but right now I would be shocked if this isn't the episode McFadden and, uh, the actress that plays Shiv don't submit for, for their Emmy uh, consideration. Um, and particularly, particularly the way, I mean, the range of emotions played in the scene of hurt and then anger and then just biting, just viciousness. Um, it, it really was something in, in, when the episode ended, when the episode ended, it, it sort of left me. I don't want to say breathless, but I was like, wow. Like, I, I did feel like an emotional gut punch. Well, what's really impressive about it is that this was a relationship that we felt for, I should say I felt, I don't want to speak for either you or the listeners, but I felt that was largely up until the that actual wedding night episode where suddenly 
there were some emotions laid bare before that it felt always felt like a relationship of convenience and an impartial facade and a means to get somewhere else, whether it be status or moving up in the world, whatever for Tom and then so on. And this was just very raw. I would also, uh, to go along with what you were saying, and it's not in any way trying to contradict it at all. Um, but I have noticed and I think it's almost, it's not really thematic, but it's very no- noticeable to me that this, this season, again, from um, that third episode on, is that you've had um, a number of episodes that the bulk of the episode, you know, I don't know what percentage, 80, 85, maybe even 90% of the episode takes place in one specific location. Correct. Um, the obviously the episode where Logan Roy passes. Yet we have a few early shots early on and him on the tarmac, but the bulk of that episode is them on the boat. It, that's a lot of the episode. The episode you were you referenced in your thing where they're all at the Logan Roy house. I mean, virtually the entire episode is in that. Yes, there's many rooms, but it's still a kind of a one location. And again, like you just pointed out, this episode. Outside of um, maybe an early scene with Kendall um, when he um, meets his uh, ex-wife, I think pretty much everything else takes place all in that one space. This, this, and to go, and again to go along with what you said, I think more so than even those previous ones, virtually all the action takes place there. It's almost like the, the one, the one thing, that, and I'll, as I got to the run, that something else pops up, like, oh yeah, then there was that. But right now, that's the only scene that I can think of, which. That that's not much, and 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 yet the show still spends a billion dollars, <laughs> as it yeah. should, because you know they're rich. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it helps after you go to if you go to Norway or Iceland or whatever that the, you know, then you do an episode in an apartment. But, uh, right. but yeah, I mean, it's still lavish and it still looks amazing and has this big list. But, um, I mean, you can't imagine a party. You can't imagine a party going worse. There's nothing worse at the end of a night of entertaining that the couple that hosts kicks everybody out and fights and breaks up. Well, it seemed, I'll say that whenever I watch, well, it actually applies to some comedies as well, but very much dramatic series or dramedies where if the, the core of the episode is going to take be a party, you know, it's not going to go well. I right. mean, either it's, doesn't matter if it's the Mary Tyler Moore show or uh, or an episode of that show, the Bob Odenkirk show, Lucky Hank, which just completed um, probably the most noteworthy episode of the entire run was an entire dinner party that goes horribly, horribly wrong. And probably as, as uncomfortable as anything we've seen in a succession episode, quite frankly. Yeah. So let's get to the actual rundown of the episode and we can see um, how we go from the highs and the lows and everything in between because we do start the episode and when the episode begins, it seems things have really certainly thawed rather nicely between Tom and Shiv. I mean, they're talking about basically, you know, acting as though they were just on a break, but now they're back together. And we are discerning that it's the morning. I think it's the morning of election Eve. So they're prepping for what sounds like uh, a somewhat traditional party for the Roy family. Um, the only difference is, you know, you know, King Roy is not going to be there. And throughout their conversation, what's going on is, you know, you have your bit of sexy flirting, you have your jokes. 
But when he comes in with uh, her breakfast, that of course he didn't prepare, but whatever, um, there's a present. And she opens it up. And what the present is, it's a little scorpion, you know, kind of encased in lucite. Um, it's a joke that doesn't quite land. Now, he doesn't really try, he doesn't go through any real effort to explain it, except in his more very, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how awkward Tom gets when he tries to articulate anything. Um, and yet he'll be the first to mock someone else like a Greg, but I think he's might be even worse than Greg at times. I thought maybe, maybe, maybe he was going for some sort of scorpion and the frog joke thing, which is, you know, the one thing most people think of when they hear about a scorpion. And even though that might be the most overused analogy in the history of t movies and television at this point, and maybe that's why they never actually say it, because it's almost a play on that, I think. And it, in a weird way, it seems kind of appropriate, because if he's viewing her as a scorpion... And you think about how this episode eventually goes, it's like, well, that is who she is. And the fact that she is going to cut you down and, and, you know, and, 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 and lay things bare in, in, in a very, you know, cutting way, as you, as you said, you know, you have to know that's what, what, where, where you are. You know, she's not, you know, it's kind of like the leopard can change the spots, scorpion can change. I think that's what he was going for, but maybe he didn't, he didn't know how to articulate that. Or maybe he realized he couldn't actually say it because he'd be like, well, what is that supposed to mean? And maybe this episode would have ended before it even began. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of a worse gift to give a woman that you uh, unless like, you know, they're an insect person. <laughs> uh, I, I can't think of a worse gift to give. And that's exactly what I thought. And if if you think about we've all seen a million times on every, every show has used the frog and the scorpion. Oh, and so if she's the scorpion, he's the frog. And, you know, of course we're going to expect her to do all the things she does in the episode. Um, and then at the end, they sort of basically have the discussion that, of what they always thought of each other. Right. And, and, and he certainly at that point, unlike here, um, he's not saying things like calling her a hot piece of ass or a fox. No. Or a minx. Which is like just weird. Like I said, this scene bookends really nicely with what we'll see at the end of the episode, both the climactic scene and even the very end. It's just nicely done. I love structure like that. So I, I just referenced a few moments ago that we do, there is at least one little scene that happens that's outside of everything here. And that's Kendall meeting up with his ex Rava. And there's an issue with their daughter Sophie. And apparently the, the actual election is freaking her out. There is considerable anti ATN slash Fox News sentiment at school. There some guy who was wearing a shirt of one of the candidates kind of pushed past her in a really rude and, you know, perhaps physical manner the other day. Um, and I, I forget how old Sophie is, but I can't imagine she's very old at all. I don't, she might be double digits. I'm not really sure. I don't remember how old she is, unfortunately, because we've only seen her a few times on the show and we spent more time focusing on his son because of the, uh, He's all, I think he's he's autistic, isn't he? The, the son. They, they hint. They, they hint at him. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he's at least on the spectrum. I think. They've read yeah. This. So this becomes an argument between Kendall and his wife, and Kendall, you know, he snaps a bit. And on one hand, 
him snapping, it seems to be kind of a natural extension of how he's been handling the pressures and situations of work. But it's also a reminder. This is all a reminder, I think, for us. He is the one Roy child who has kids. It's someone who doesn't realize, wait, he's the only one who has kids. So you always are going to have the ever-present issue, and you know it has to be in his head somewhere, be it subconscious or at the fore- or at the forefront of his head, that Kendall worrying about treating his kids anything like Logan treated his own. Um, so many times when they've been brought up, or the rare times when we see them, those moments it seems Kendall is trying to overcompensate. But by and large, especially when he's got the stuff going on like he's had for probably several months now, it seems like he's more absent from their lives than anything else. And you can't help but wonder if that's more than just simply being too busy, you know, being obsessed with Waystar and all that business drama. Maybe to a certain extent, he's deliberately distanced himself from his children, therefore not even giving himself the opportunity to be the bad dad that his own father was. I mean, that's, that's maybe, I don't know if I made more of it than I should be there, but that's how I'm, I'm kind of viewing it. Well, I, I took it as the way this scene progressed. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt he knows Rava is a good woman and, and he likes her. Uh, and he really knows the flaw in them was always him and, and what was wrong with him. Um, I think what makes him snap is she starts throwing at him the things that were probably thrown at his dad and his initial feelings are to react probably the same way his dad did. And there's nothing any pa- I mean, you know, any parent thinks you do a checklist and, you know, if any listeners disagree with me, please feel free to give feedback. But um, I mean, one of the things you do as a kid uh, and probably uh, I'm sure you have your own checklist is think, man, if I was ever a parent or ever, I, I wouldn't do this. Like, like the way this thing just happened to me, I won't do that. Right. And, you know, she basically points out like he's walking in his dad's footsteps and he, that's what I think sort of triggers him right. to blow up is that he realizes she's right. And it's, it's the part of him he he hates and doesn't want to be like his dad. Right. And, you know, the absentee, the, you know, I'm doing this for a better America, all that bullshit. That's not, none of it's true. It's just saying something to excuse the fact you're, you're not there. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. So we move on. And, and now I see there were a few other things that took place before we get back to, uh, Shiv and Tom's place. Um, like a moment we have with Roman where we can discern from his phone conversation, he's clearly digging for dirt on Madsen. So at this point, you know, right off the top in the episode, you can guess it's only going to be a matter of time before those bricks of blood are unearthed at the very least, <laughs> you know, although we will learn there's actually more to be to, to find out. And where everyone's headed, and I don't know if it was a breakfast meeting or lunch or brunch or maybe I don't think anyone actually ate anything, which I noticed that's like, oh, nobody eats or drinks anything. I'm sure the restaurant was thrilled with them. Um, No one left a tip either, I saw. It's the four Roy children meeting 
And essentially, it's kind of like a funeral <laughs> management committee. Although it seems fairly clear, Connor seems to be the only one who really seems to care about all this. Although it is presented, and you know, there's a plot point for later in the episode, that someone is going to have to speak at the funeral, and that does remain to be decided. Um, there's a brief conversation about, you know, maybe it'll be Kendall, even though we're like, oh, maybe it shouldn't be Kendall. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that proceeds. Now, Connor leaves at that point, because that's the only reason he's there. And that's when Roman and Kendall kind of, you know, in collaboration with each other, they ask Shiv if she can invite Nate to the party later. Nate as another option to help tank the deal that is getting very, which would be, you know, getting various government agencies involved to block Matson. Now, as folks should try to remember, would remember, Nate was a pretty serious political operative at Shiv. Well, she used to work with, and she was pretty much very much involved with before. We might rec- recall his interactions with Tom. <laughs> was it the uh, was at the wedding reception? Wasn't it? Yeah, that was fun. So the apprehension, you know, it's unvoiced her specific reason, but we can see it's clear because she knows at this point how that would impact Tom. Um, again, it's interesting to see all this happen now. Oh, I said interesting again. God damn it. <laughs> but it's, it's one of the moments early in the episode. You can see that even though she's going to go along with this because she understands the bigger picture, so to speak, it's a time when she's, you can see she's concerned about how it's going to affect Tom, which is something that we had, we don't tend to see with her pretty much ever over, over the history of the show. Um, Tom is very always easy. She's She usually doesn't have much of a problem throwing Tom under a bus if she, if she has to. It's not really been an issue for her. No, but she is really thinking about him. But the problem is, the problem is with this family is it's always going to be the family and the business first. And, and so she, she doesn't quash the idea. Right. And I'd love to say family first, but I feel with them it seems to be more often business and your own personal status first before even family. Um, although Shiv is one of the, It's interesting when you see them express any form of regret while they're going to do or say something which is not great. Shiv does it all the time. Roman ends up walking back things a little bit afterwards. Kendall is actually the one who probably does it the least, actually. <laughs> That's Then I think about it. It's funny how Kendall's always seemed to be the one who's, like, most in touch with his feelings, but he's the one who seems to be more about, eh, screw him, kind of, which actually happens later in this episode. So, yeah, and the brothers, they leave, and she calls Matson, advising that he better show up at this party so he can help thwart this plan. So she is, in, you know, still in that major double agent mode. We do get another scene kind of for a bunch of scenes at the base place department, apparently, because I forgot about this one. Oh, it's a fascinating scene. When Tom has Greg terminate a slew of ATN employees, you know, globally, (laughs) all through a Zoom call. The fact that this is it's suddenly become this is Greg's thing is I don't know what to make of it, but it, 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 I think he, I mean, he does explain it later on in the episode and 
I got to give Greg credit. He's kind of spot on with how he views it now or how he thinks he's being viewed. I, I do think that's why he's the one doing it. I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, if, if Tom doesn't do it, he, he, he doesn't have to have a, a, a more negative perception of him than already exists, quite frankly, kind of keep your hands clean, whatever. Um, it, it's a, it's it's pretty fucking funny, is what it is. It is, and and on the heels of all of us in a video conference world, um, it was like it, it 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 was a flashback to a million COVID meetings for probably a lot of people right. who worked on COVID, and you know the guy shows up on video and tells you you're fired. And hey, Greg, Greg, I'll give Greg this credit; like he's getting better at it. Yes, to to a certain extent. The way he ends that Zoom call is is pretty harsh, though. It is. I I what what I find funny about it is you'd expect Greg, even if it was totally fake, to express more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not condolences. <laughs> You, you expect them to, to show a more, more sympathy or, or feeling bad for, or at least even in a fake way towards him, and he's not even doing that. He's no. really not doing that. It's so clear he's just reading off of things like you know, you know, goodbye. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's cold, and Greg earlier would have stumbled through that and felt bad about it, and probably would have done some mangled attempt at the end to feel good. And he just, he's just like, bye gone. Yeah, that's amazing. So then we have Shiv telling Tom, she pretty much tells Tom pretty much everything. And what's fascinating about this is well, I'm saying fascinating a lot now. Um, it's showing a trust as, you know, as a confidant and as your significant other, to, even though he's someone that actually betrayed her, it's. I think it's really significant, and I think there's also a, a very interesting parallel here. Again, all about parallels. We're seeing this scene, which is based around her being, you know, honest. We're talking about abject honesty here. She is. Re- she is telling him everything, and we're going to be seeing abject honesty again later on. Although that's going to be more of a gut wrenching variety rather than this uh, bonding moment between them. Actually, the other the, later it's going to be the exact opposite. It's going to be tearing those bonds asunder, so to speak. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the one of the things I thought of that as this episode went on is Shiv and Shiv and him both have seemed to drop a little bit of their guard. Uh, more than in the past. And both of them, even at the height of when they were getting married, all that, like they, they, they've always, they've always had their guard a hundred percent up. And both of them showed vulnerability in in this episode, a, a lot of it. And, you know, I've thought, and we'll talk about it when we get there, I've thought as I look back on the episode, like how do I portion what's going on? Like, like did, did they both try Did I watched this episode twice uh, and I don't usually do that, but I watched it twice and I see two people that are trying and old Shiv would have never told Tom everything. Tom never got to know all the details. And I think one of the reasons Tom made the play at the end of, of last season 
was he never was he never was allowed behind the curtain. Right. Yeah. Um, but but she, I mean, she really that this is a this is a newer, slightly, you know, point oh four percent softer shiv. Um, and and I and I like it a lot. Although it's interesting between this, which is more about the current situation and then everything that happens later, not to spoil something I might have said later, but I didn't write it down. So I just thought of it just now. How incredibly um, either be in this confidant mode here or just laying everything bare and, you know, in the you know roughest but most bluntest way possible later on. There is one thing she still doesn't tell him. And we know what that is. Obviously, we're going to talk about that because it's something he says to her. But it, it, the only reason I just I didn't want to forget it because the thought just popped in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, what? I should have made a note about that because that's kind of like, well, there is one thing she's kept to herself. We'll get there because now we are getting to the actual party. And from this point on, everything takes place there. Um, so we'll just hit the high points of the party. Now, uh, the party is interesting because... Oh, <laughs> because it feels like we veer back and forth between things that are just done for almost for pure comedy and then we veer to serious and then it becomes absurd there's a lot of there's a lot of absurdity going on here um and then and then it gets really rough um like the awkwardness between Tom and Nate you know when they first <laughs> encounter each other it's it's exactly what you'd expect it to be. You know, of course, there's going to be some goofy awkwardness between those two, whatever. So, especially in light of how Tom is, at this point, feels like he's rebuilt that relationship that he that he had almost lost uh, before this episode. Um, either Nate gives a damn or not, who knows. Um, but then we bounce over to something which is like, which is kind of the com- one of the com- main comedic threads throughout the party until it's not, which I-, I love. It's almost like a trap has been laid for us here. And the thing I'm talking about is Roman, as per a request from the, the Mencken campaign, um, asks Connor if he'll bow out of the race. Because in specific, in specific regions or states, even those couple percentage points that, that Connor seems like he might actually score could adversely impact, um, the vote as far as Mankin is concerned. It would just make things just a bit easier and simpler for, and straightforward from if Connor was not in the race at all. And the deal would be, okay, he would do this if there's an ambassador offering an ambassadorship. And of course, the one the, the place they initially offer him is is Mogadishu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Connor's reaction because it's I, I can't help but like you know what that's not a, that's a, that's not an out of line thing to say. I mean, it might be offensive to some, but uh, probably not. I love that he says something along the lines of that sounds a little car bomby to me. Yeah. <laughs> I love, yeah, but of course he counters which with the most ridiculous ambassadorship to to ask for, which is the UN, which is basically. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's like the number one ambassadorship. You're not going to be getting the UN, you moron. Oh yeah, his uh, lack of self awareness just has consistently remains amazing in this show. And it's interesting because we had that episode. I think it was the the second episode where 
I guess what was shocking about that episode was there was some keen self-awareness on his part. And, but that seems so long ago now. Yeah. <laughs> you see things like this. So again, we bounce around. We have a, we have a little moment between Roman and Ken where they realize they're going to have to divide and conquer between the libtards and the Nazis at the party. I will point out. Um, although this is a big declaration of what their plan of action is going to be, we see very little of that throughout this episode, unless you count um, Kendall's um, encounters with Nate. Um, but also, Roman spots Jerry. She's arrived, uh, along with Frank, I guess. And he goes to Frank to ask him if, you know, well, she looks good. Is everything all smoothed over? And I love Frank really blindly going, no, she's incredibly angry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we have that moment where Tom introduces Ken to speak, I guess, just to, you know, say hi to everybody. And they're remembering the fact that the, they, the, this was a, a tradition that they would do. And this is the first time that obviously Logan is not there. And that's when he actually calls for a moment of silence. And of course, it's during the moment of silence. That's when the Swedish invasion. <laughs> yeah, the Swedish invasion. I like that. And I, I love there is a the the bullshit sheepishness <laughs> that Lucas has when he's standing there. Especially because again, this is a very tall guy, but the way he kind of hunches his shoulders, like, "Oops, sorry about that." He's not sorry at all. No. And what I think is key about, well, I don't know if key is the right word, might be a bit much, but it introduces a new spot for things to happen for this party. And many key moments are going to happen there. It's the terrace. And so cause right after that, we're on the terrace with the Roys, you know, and by Roys, I mean Shiv. Kendall and Roman. And it's the, the, the two boys are reacting to, um, uh, Lucas and Lucas and the gang sh showing up, um, and I, <laughs> I love Shiv's pretense of like being shocked as well, whatever. And the whole uh, what is it, Operation Nuke the Luke? Yeah, <laughs> they come up with whatever. And um, so all, at this point, I'm just looking forward to okay. So she's gonna. I think he. If, if I'm unless, correct me if I'm wrong. Does. Kendall not say that she should kind of stick around with Lucas to try to keep him away from, which is perfect because she's kind of working with Lucas. <laughs> he, he should, she should steer him away from the important people. That's right. what Kendall more or less says. And, uh, and I like the subterfuge that, that Shiv gives him that the reason he came is that Logan invited him. Oh, of course it's perfect. I mean, you know, how can you deny it? It was probably written in pencil, then crossed out or underlined. We don't know. <laughs> um, then back to absurdity and comedy is the moment where, you know, Tom is, you know, taking a shot of talking with Matt and he's clearly kissing his ass. And <laughs> the fact that he's, again, Tom is not good at this. He's not. When, I believe Lucas asked him a question about. I think he asked him something along the lines of whether he's hands on or he just kind of has a position where he just over. And instead of giving him a direct answer one way or the other, he does the worst thing possible. It's like, so which would you prefer? I be like, no, that's not. <laughs> and it's so right. he's so bad at it. 
But in this, I love how Lucas can cut people down so beautifully here between his reaction to Tom obviously kissing his ass. The fact that he calls Greg Gary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I, I love, oh, by the way, the fact that Tom's reaction when Matson actually says to him about, you know, you're clearly, you know, blowing smoke or kissing my ass, whatever. And Tom's reaction is, no, no, you're too, you're too smart. <laughs> it's like, really? So you're doubling down on it now. And then just as a, an additional smack to Tom, you know, when he comments on the place, like, so who's, who's keeping the place in the divorce? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- t- you know, Lucas is, Lucas is excellent at the subtle jab here and there and you know he he's done it throughout the show he says shitty things like almost in the oh i'm joking here's another shitty jab i'm joking and he does that throughout there is something that a little detail that happened at the beginning of the apartment that i want to point out because i think it's going to be fairly important okay that's the first time tom says i'm really tired oh i didn't remember that okay nice Right. Interesting. So at, at this point, that's when, you know, Tom and Greg or Gary, they, they make their way away and we see Shiv in double agent mode again and pretty much giving him the lay of the land. And she's had enough conversations with him and encounters with him. And he's, you know, he's not exactly Mr. Suit and tie buttoned up individual here. So her concern, and I believe the way it's phrased is, you know, don't be screaming people are our data and sticking your dick in the guac. Yeah, the guac. Now, the scene continues with a few of his um, employees, um, Eva and Oscar. And uh, this is kind of the scene which is should, I guess, for Shiv at the very least, if not the viewer, a uh, big red flag. Because he's commenting and critique and being kind of really snarkily nasty about Ebba, you know, referring to her social anxiety it makes it all very painful to watch. And I won't recount all the things he says because we all remember what he said. But you know, he's he's mocking. He's he's even he makes a he makes a joke about Oscar as well, like being you know being high on gummies or whatever, whatever, just stoned, whatever. But it's more about Ebba here because that's the one we already know the situation. And we already know that this is a problem and he's not making it better. In fact, throughout the episode, he kind of is clearly making it worse. And you can't help but think that this is what might be bringing, which is going to bring about the eventual downfall of Lucas. I mean, yeah, we're going to find out something else, which might be part of a one-two punch that's going to knock him out of the picture. But here, and you watch, you can watch it through Shiv's eyes and her reaction, reacting to everything is kind of like, Dude, what what is, what is wrong with you? She doesn't say that, but that's the look on her face because it's just like, ugh, what are you? What's it's it's un, it's unsettling in the way that in a way like Logan could be actually. Um, it's a very, and so it, it's it's a weird thing that maybe he and Logan have in common. Like, okay, you're just going to keep saying like really horrible things, and you really should stop. <laughs> you know. Well, th- there's a. Logan and a lot of his outbursts were emotional in nature uh, that he couldn't control himself. Like, like when he would get angry, he would blow up at someone or smack a kid, you know, uh, Lucas is not 
a just react emotional person. They he's portrayed as much more calculated, but they've made it. They've made a very purposeful attempt to make him just flaky as hell. Like mm-hmm. that, that he's very he's he's unpredictable in a scary way. And we start to see the underpinnings of why maybe it wasn't a great idea to step out on the ledge with him because he's he's pretty uh, he he's pretty unpredictable and has some real issues. Uh, you know, Logan Roy, you could probably game plan for a lot easier than you could Lucas Madsen. Right, and one th- and the other thing they maybe they both share in common is that they think they're above. Um, what societal norms and how you can treat yes. people because they can get away with it because of who they are and the billions that they're worth. And, you know, the fact that this person might be like in Lucas's situation, um, the fact that this could actually be a really bad legal situation, dude, he doesn't, I'm sure he doesn't view it that way. I'm sure he views it. Well, I can't possibly be taken down, you know, and we can think of even people in real life over the last few years probably view things the same way. Right. Right. So we we go we we zip back to Roman and Connor and and Connor's with Maxim Pierce I think it's Mark Lynn Baker uh, who we'd seen before and now I, then it made, that was what made me remember oh yeah he was the one who actually suggested like he could see him as a political candidate and it looked I, I get the impression from this that he's been acting as Connor's campaign manager at the very least so they're still talking about ambassadorships and <laughs> at this point they're kind of in a in a maybe situation about uh. uh Oman, <laughs> it's Oman. Yeah. If I mispronounced, I apologize. Oman, Oman, it's probably Oman, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah. So, <laughs> what to make of it? So then we have Lucas meeting with Nate and and with Shiv there, and watching from afar, you see Tom and Greg, and this is one of the moments we see that Tom is really not handling things well. Um, obviously because of you've got the combination of the Nate situation, which reminds him of all the stuff and is it with Shiv over the whatever months or years that they've been together and what was actually going on. And the fact that he's here, you know, kind of, it, we, it, you know, kind of a Shiv into his back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and of course it's also Lucas who, he know he must know that he's not doing well as far as saving his job if Lucas is going to be taking over because that did not conversation earlier conversation did not help him. Now, what I find interesting, oh, did it again, whatever. Um, and he's done this in another episode a while back. Maybe it was the wedding episode. I'm thinking, around that wedding wedding reception, obsessing about the wine. And I know it's, you know, we, you can stop to think about what the wine represents. It's from his own family's winery, if I believe. And, you know, they've brought issues, they've brought up issues in the past about it. it's not, it's not the best wine on the market, you know, <laughs> from, from what we gather from by a long stretch. It just feels like there's a lot of metaphors to be found here about, you know, th- this is the one thing he has or his family has, and it's really not much. And he's trying, but he's still trying to push it in this situation. You know, I wonder if that wine would have been what would have been served if Logan had been there. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been. Um, and the way he's going about, you know, it, he, 
considering the situation, he, who he is, and he's still going to talk to, you know, the catering service that they've hired and to handle things, whatever. It's like, oh, maybe hold some bottles. But to maybe scarcity will make it more popular. You know, like, because that, that, that's what's going to work here. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the fact earlier on when you mentioned the wine have a slight fizziness to it, it's like, oh, yeah, because that's usually a really, <laughs> That's usually a really good sign in your wine. Oh yeah, fizzy. It's like carbonated wine. Yeah, people <laughs> people love that. You know, you know, it's wine with Fanta in it or something. I don't know. Well, I, I think his his insecurity is all wrapped up in in this scene about knowing he doesn't fit in, but wanting to fit in this this crowd of people and. Uh, he he's trying to find some control because I think in many ways, like you have, you have sort of like Shiv's past lover, him and Lucas who Tom sees. I mean, how could he not like Lucas is calling her directly? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this guy who's, you know, a billionaire, who's this tall, handsome guy is calling your wife and she's telling you like she's playing with him and doing this how could he not be insecure about that and right. all all of it is there inside their house and 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 he his his insecurities through the roof right absolutely absolutely uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, I, should, I didn't even think of saying that, but that's very true. Um, speaking of Nate, we get the first, and I'll just I'll, com- I'll combine them into two moments here, even though one's later on. Ken meeting up with Nate, um, which um, initially is you know kind of like an old friend. So oh, sorry about this, blah blah blah, whatever. But then it starts to get more and more awkward in their later meeting because um, Ken's really trying to push him to go along with, you know, his original idea of, you know, the guys that he works for to really start to put the wheels in motion to kind of block Matson for all these possible issues that could happen, whatever. And the problem is Nate sounds a lot less craven and underhanded than Ken would like him to be. Uh, Nate even says something along the lines. I, fr- I don't remember who Gil was. I had to go look. Oh yeah. Okay. That's who Gil is. But, it was a previous uh, operative who kind of would work with Logan. So he says, I'm not Gil. You're not Logan. And that's a good thing. You know, so Nate is really trying to be more on the up and up. So as a, as a result of this, the person who kind of, you know, makes the better impression on him between the two, at least is going to end up being Lucas at this point. Um, but it's just, it's the fact that if Kendall can't make this little thing happen, that's a bad sign because <laughs> then who are you going to convince there at this point? Cause it seems like every come, I love all these different conversations that happen throughout the party where it's like, no one is doing what they know. Like when, when, when Tom is talking to somebody, he does the same thing again. It's like, Oh, I hear you're onto bigger and better things. It's like, Oh, oh yeah. What, what have you heard? I'm like, Oh, maybe I heard wrong. It's like, Oh my God, Tom. Yeah. yeah you're so, <laughs> you should just not talk. So, we do get this scene between Matson and Shiv. She takes him aside, talk to him privately, and it basically it's it's in the "what have you done for me lately" kind of mode. And because it seems like everything she everything has been about a one way street, it's like she's looking out for him, she's advising him, she's telling him that he needs to get here, what everything he's doing here. Um, what's the reciprocation going to be here that it seems like this hasn't been discussed. And obviously the idea is this deal goes through, but she then gets her 
she gets to she gets the position that the boys have is pretty much what I think is what she's talking about. But the way he addresses it and talks to her, it feels like she should already have even more cause for concern based on the way he reacts, based on his very carefully chosen words, which say nothing whatsoever. I mean, also, where have we seen that before? When she's trying to find out something about her position at the company and the person she's talking to, who's you know the person in charge, the way that person reacts and the words they choose are very kind of nebulous. They're never really very specific. They're never definitive. Um, yeah. So again, I think there's it's although they're although they're 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 they don't they have very different types of quirks and oddities about them and perhaps. Lucas is a more absurd character than than Logan ever was. Um, again, another thing they have in common, <laughs> you know, and you know, and a lot of that comes from the fact. Well, yeah, they're the, they're the two most powerful or richest people in the room in the room, typically. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. She uh, that this was a big warning sign that that she thought they were equals and he did not. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Which I think is very disconcerting for her here. So as we flit around the party, we get some more Tom flailing around, looking desperate. We also see that Roman has actually gotten the dirt on Madsen. And by that dirt, I'm referring to the the blood bricks. So we know that that story is, is, about, is going to start making its rounds, which is convenient because we're also seeing his interactions. His By, by his, I mean Lucas's interactions with Ebba. So it's the reminder of, oh, yeah, that's... That's why things are so weird between these two. Um, but things are not so weird between Willa and Connor, except the fact that Willa is not really keen on Oman. <laughs> you know, shocker. <laughs> I love, I think, well, don't they talk about like, you know, it's a desert? No, it'll be a compound. Oh, yes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> How appealing. So, in yet another room, in this amazing, gigantic apartment these two have, apparently. I mean, it's, got, it's like mansion size, I think. Um, we have Lucas sitting with, you know, with Oscar, and there's that Eva again. And Greg tries to insinuate himself. I think Greg is kind of encouraged to do that by, by Ken earlier, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Kendall asked him to, to check on him. Kind of being like his little operative. Um I love the interactions here because initially, I mean, especially, I mean, Oscar has no use for him whatsoever. He, he's out, just out and out mean to him, whatever. But even, even Lucas thinks that might be a bit much and he hasn't sit down. But it's when Greg reveals what his, what his real job has become, what we were talking about before. They're fascinated. <laughs> They're fascinated, especially Lucas. Cause think about it. The person that Lucas is, not only has he had to do that, if he ends up buying everything, he's going to be doing that again. A lot, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a whole lot of that. It's like, maybe he can use this guy. You know, the Slim Reaper, as they call him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the in this scene, the balls on Greg to right there say, I'll fire her. Like, it, you oh know, God, and she's there at the party. Like, he he... He's all in, like, you know, hey, this is my superpower, and I'll do it. I love that. we. Were, I think we talked in a previous episode about how, um, although they still will, will stand together and, and mock or joke together, 
that Greg is sort of disconnecting himself from being Tom's boy. And, yep. he, and he's actually, you know, rebuking him at times, uh, or, or comment, which has happened, you know, for the last couple episodes. Um, I gotta say, it's interesting. Who would have thought just a few episodes ago, Greg makes a better impression throughout this episode than Tom does? I mean, by I put far. It, I put in my notes, Greg outshines Tom. Oh, absolutely. So, during that whole conversation, obviously the whole situation with Ebba kind of escalates because, you know, Lucas is continuing, you know, to be a dick to her and then like the whole firing thing, how he can't fire her, whatever. Um, which leads to her, hey, she goes out on the terrace and she is approached by the bros and they have a conversation out there and she drops a reference to something which catches their ear. It's something about India and they need and want to know those details. They cut away, but we know they do find out those details. This information makes its way to Shiv, who once again grabs Lucas during that conversation he's having with, you know, the Slim Reaper and such. And that's when we find out what the, the India situation is. That basically the numbers, you know, with their subscriptions that they have are more than twice as many from India, as if there were two Indias. Now, what that, what that, in simpleton's terms, what those metrics would mean is that the metrics are fraudulent. They're exaggerating the value by the number of subscriptions they have, and that's we're talking. If you're talking about two Indians, that means easily hundreds, or maybe even hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, are false. You exaggerate the value, which inflates the stock price, the financial, their overall financial worth, and what their actual means are. It's it's a really, it's one of those things you don't realize how bad it is until you actually think about it. Like, no, that's actually really, really bad. <laughs> that's yeah. really bad. I mean, it's, it's what in a previous episode, a similar scheme was, dis- was described in that way. And someone says something to the effect of, well, you know, there's another name for that and it's called fraud. Yes. And that's exactly what this would be. And that's where Shiv at this point, now she's really not happy. And she's thinking that she's, she might've bet on the wrong horse after all. Again, you had red flags, Shiv. Speaking of red flags, even though I don't know really how to tie that in, but it's a bad segue, but we go to Roman and Jerry. And my reaction to this scene, the, the note I wrote was, yikes. <laughs> well, we were already told earlier in the episode, uh, she's uh, still angry. And she's very um, clear about what she wants because Roman is trying to walk back the firing, trying to go back to the way that things used to be. She's not having any of it. She, yep, she's fine. She's out. This is about getting money as, and probably a boatloads of it. And she wants to control the narrative, for a phrase that they really like on Succession. And if anything is done, to stop that, to disrupt that. Anyway, she's going to sue, and she's got all those dick pics that he had sent her. <laughs> you know, so she's, I wouldn't say she's blackmailing exactly, but she's she's got ammunition. At, at well, it's funny you say that, because I, I the thought that came to my head when I watched this was, she fires a dick pic warning shot, <laughs> and basically says... I have what I need to to embarrass you, and there's nothing the Roy there's nothing that that the Roys would hate for their standing more than to be 
humiliated right. and embarrassed. And it would, it would embarrass the whole family. I mean, it wouldn't just uh, affect him and him being, him being the co bro CEO. I mean, if those got released now, she could tank the value of the stock. Right. Absolutely. And again, and this all goes back to Logan's reactions to when he first found out about this. And that pretty much knocked Roman off whatever Roman was rising in his eyes. And then when that happens, like, Oh no, you're still the little sexual deviant perv. That I thought you were, who knows? Maybe that's why he smacked him as a kid. Maybe caught him jerking off on a window. Like we know he likes to do from time to time. What happens as a result of this is because she sa- she says her piece, showing that Roman, you're, the, 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 ch- the the charm that you thought you had with Jerry, and maybe one of your only allies you had, quite frankly, that's gone. You've been you you've been you know, you've been rebuked and then some, and this sets him off, and that's what leads him to go directly to Connor and Willa who are, you know, hanging out in the other room because he wants to settle that ambassador ship situation. And Roman, Roman goes off like a Roman candle, quite frankly. It's, it's bad of the things that he says to Connor and Willa. I mean, everything from basically (laughs) referring to her as a wife, but with air quotes and that Connor is a fucking joke yeah. You know, even Ken, who's there and is right behind me, he's like, e- you know, easy, you know, because now he's gone, he's gone beyond just, oh, oh, f- firing people. And it's kind of, it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're ripping into your own blood here. And in a, in, in, in a way that I'm not sure you can walk all that back or I'll ever be forgotten, you know, and there's that moment. And I really thought they were going to go there, but again, if there's one thing succession never does, it never does the obvious. I thought Connor was going to deck him. I thought Connor was going to deck him. And he didn't. He kept his cool to his credit because I, if I were him, I probably would have decked him. But he makes it clear that Willa is the only person who believes in him. And that's the only person he's going to listen to. Period. And he leaves. So we get, so we got to give Connor credit for, you know, cooler heads will, will, will prevail here. And quite frankly, all the ambassadorships that were offered probably weren't worth it to him. <laughs> Oman. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Go to Oman and lose Willa. Right. And it's at this point where if we, if you hadn't noticed, because we were focused so much on the two of them, that's when we realized, Oh, Matson's been sitting on the windowsill this whole time. And he's doing his, you know, his best Statler and Waldorf commenting at this point, you know, you know, cool, cool family, whatever. Yeah. And then we get this little mini, I don't know how to phrase it, like a, a kind of a showdown, at least a, a brief showdown between Ken and Lucas. Um, I know I, I alternate between calling him Lucas and Matt's and I don't know why I do that, but you know, whatever it works either way. Now, initially I'm on, I'm, I'm right there with Ken because he's kind of insulting New York City and, you know, spoiler. I'm 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 the guy on the podcast from New York City and still am. (laughs) So, but then, but then they start going at it, and then, uh oh, we they both have dueling dubious number issues on each other, you know, because we know the thing with Living Plus had these inflated numbers that were like suspect, and now he knows about now we know about India, which is beyond suspect. 
And then Lucas goes one step further, and this is 2023. So, you know, you got to worry about things like this. You know, much like him sending up that Holocaust joke tweet. And by the way, there are people like me, and I can say this because, you know, Jew, but um, I like I actually appreciate a good Holocaust joke, but, you know, I'm allowed because, you know, my people died in the Holocaust. Um, but here he refers to the numbers being gay. <laughs> yeah. And he's lisping it as he's saying it. And even Ken was like, dude, it's, that's kind of homophobic. <laughs> I'm just going, what is he, what is Lucas doing? And then they hug it out. <laughs> it's a really weird scene. I mean, it's a it's a great scene, but it's a weird scene. I, nothing about that scene goes the way you think it's going to, and I think that's what I love most about that scene. What what's what's funny about this episode is there are a number of confrontations that happen, and you think they're going to end violently, or in, in a way, either with with terrible words or whatever, like you just talked about Connor and Roman, he could have decked him. You could have seen Lucas and Kendall throwing punches that, you know, it, it all ends peacefully. And then we go to the scene where it doesn't end peacefully. Right. And that is the very next scene because at this, because Shiv is even looking onto all this. She's in what the fuck mode. Tom, as you mentioned, is tired and he goes out to the terrace. The terrace again. And that's where we get this epic scene. Now, it's it's one of those... It, it, I, I like that it, the, the way the scene kind of builds. And you keep thinking, okay, they're going to go this far, but no further. Oh, no, it's going to get worse. Oh, no. Oh, it's going to become more about this. And then it becomes about everything. And except for the one thing she doesn't tell him. And correct me if I'm wrong once again, because I, my note I wrote for the scene, because I, I wanted to keep it just you and me, was, wow. <laughs> so, I don't have much to draw on here. Does he not say at one point during the scene that she could or should never have children? Yes, and that's what breaks them forever. That's what breaks them forever is that she would be a terrible mom. She should never have children. Right. Okay. I thought that because obviously this is something that they probably dealt with and talked about in the past because this, and I think the impression was that maybe she was having difficulty conceiving, um, which is why she was so shocked that she had gotten that information that, oh, guess what? <laughs> something made it, made its way through. I mean, I guess we're, everything we're seeing right now is all taking place. Oh, it has to be because the Logan hasn't even been buried yet. So right. it's all taking place over a couple of days. Hence why she, we haven't moved forward in time for her to be showing as of yet or anything like that. Um, but they, I, I think they said, I, did they say this on, they might have said this on the little, um, featurette, whatever we call it that they do at the end of the episodes. If you watch them on HBO Max, um, but I did think of it myself. Um, but I want to, I think they said it there. There's a certain who's afraid of Virginia Wolf kind of feel to this, the way, you know, we're watching a couple, you know, basically tear each other apart and, and watching a relationship fall apart. The only difference is that these two don't appear to be drunk at the time. Yeah. Um, but it just gets more and more vicious. But, but here's the thing except for maybe Tom's comment about how she should never have children. 
Tom's comments, which are brutal, but it's brutal honesty. And it's, it's about what, it's about what the situation has been and what, what she's been and referring to her as being selfish and everything else about her. I mean, it's obviously these are negative descriptors, but it's true. We, we might love the character Shiv, but not, I can't say anything Tom says is inaccurate. I think she, I think he's pretty, I mean, in my perspective, he's, he's pretty spot on. The stuff that she says, I don't think she's wrong either, but the difference is, and and again, she, a lot of stuff she's saying is almost reacting to what he's saying. So she goes further. She's more vicious. She's trying to say things specifically to hurt him. You know, he's laying things bare because this is what the truth is. And, you know, you can be with some, for example, you can be in a relationship with someone that you perceive to be selfish because you think, okay, th- this is something about them, a negative trait, but maybe this will get better over time. And they will realize that they will have self-awareness, whatever you want to call it. Um, the things that she says are just awful. You know, again, they're both awful. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like team Tom or team Shiv here. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't have a dog in the race. But the problem is she perceives things in a way that may, that is just, it, it's to make herself feel better. The fact that she says things to, I think she says things along the lines of that, that he didn't love her, that he only was involved with her, just, you know, for that, for the status to the move, whatever. Even though he's actually been saying that, no, he, he, he does, ha- he did have feelings for her. He does, he does love her. He wasn't the one fucking this one and that one the whole time, unlike her. You know, that's, he was there for her. So it's, if you, for someone who's watched, as we've all watched the show from, you know, from the get go, I love how our perception can change of characters and how we realize that, you know, Tom has always been, uh, you know, mid level repugnant, <laughs> quite frankly. And they've done such a masterful job of making him a sympathetic character while, while still maintaining the fact he can, he can be like the biggest fucking asshole as well. It's, it's, it's an ama- you know, it's almost, it's like he's a more likable Pete Campbell <laughs> or something like that, you know? Tom is like her Igor, like that follows her around. But I, I did have genuine sympathy for a lot of what he said that he'd hung by her and stuck with her. Um, but I think what really, I, I think what really breaks this is um, he says two things to her that that hit to the core of everything and is he, he basically says you're fucking broken. Yes. And basically says you're damaged beyond repair and you should never have kids. And you know, like she's actually as we we've noted if you believe in what your eyes have shown you this episode, you believe she might actually be trying. And if you're trying and you're willing to to change there's nothing that'll make you give up on that. They're being told you're broken and a piece of shit. And he does that to her. And then she just lets the last of the arrows fly and it's devastating. 
there's also something else that happens, and just going back to my oft-repeated um, thing about parallels and whatever, so I'm going to realize, since you've watched it twice, and I only watched it once, and that was Sunday night, so your memory should be more keen than mine, for any number of reasons, actually. Um, I did write another note under, wow, I just saw it here. I wrote, the joke not gotten. Now, I believe, obviously we already talked about the scorpion thing, which is brought up again. But also in this scene, there's also something else that's kind of along those same lines. You know, it, 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 it's a, it's the joke not gotten. And it kind of, and it kind of, so again, it's almost a parallel of those two things. I'm trying to recall what it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or do I, am I going to have to look this up or comment on Facebook after like, like a fool? I'll be honest. I, I don't remember. And I didn't make a note about it. And the second time I just watched, I didn't, I didn't take notes the second time, but I don't recall, but I think, I mean, that's sort of the core of them. Tom is a goofball that tells stupid jokes and says irritating things. And I think the idea of her not getting the joke is that really maybe like he's saying, you just never got me. Like, right, right, right. No, you're absolutely right. I'm just, I mean, I feel, I, I don't know I, the joke. I should have said, no, I think there's something that said, uh, I, I've, I've ruined the podcast now. I apologize. No. everybody. There's something said here. And I think it's reversed. It's not something he says that she, she doesn't get, it's the other way around. And that hence the parallel, because I think he questions something she says, and you know what's I don't I don't I don't get the joke here, and I I can, I'm just trying to remember what it is. Um, it might have to do with, it might have to do with the fact that he's she's clearly not saving his job, and and how. She, he should maybe she should he shouldn't be taking that seriously because it's something that's in the moment and he hasn't see what's funny because his whole his the whole thing starts out with he realizes he's 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 going to be shit canned that every everything is pointing to him being being let go and and she's greasing the skids for him quite frankly and in his view and I think she's trying to walk that back that that's not what's happening here and that's not he doesn't believe that to be true. I, it could be something relating to that. All right, I, I won't. I won't be labored to point anymore because obviously I, I probably should have written a better note for that. So I apologize. Um, I'll. I'll. I will watch. I will rewatch the scene, and I'll, when we record next week, I'll refer to it. I'll. I'll see if I can see what the hell I was talking about. I probably should have uh, made a better note of it. And uh, I. And I, I will not edit this out of the podcast. I'll leave it in. So you. You know that we just uh, go off the top of our fucking heads here. Anyway, dynamite dark scene that's really searing and 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 one of the that's the one where i almost wanted to pause while i was watching just to remember you said something about you know needing to take a breath i kind of wanted to like jesus man and i said oh wow in this episode they were so happy oh that's good i like that we do move away from that for a little bit we have this little scene between ken and frank and they have a little conversation about certain inflated numbers, you know, like the India and so on and so forth. And he says he kind of wants to go reverse Viking, you know, pillage their village. In fact, do the thing, which was, again, I believe this was the case of a previous season. What was Logan's original idea to begin with? Yeah, let's, let's flip it. 
and they'll buy Gojo instead of the other way around, which I think was the original plan, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But what's really kind of key about this, I mean, obviously that's key just because it changes the whole deal dynamic, if that can be pulled off. It's when Frank asks him about, what about Roman and Shiv? And Kendall's reaction to it, and he, I don't recall him pausing very long. I don't recall there being much hesitancy in how he responds. You know, on the one hand, he says, you know, they're part of my plans, but, you know, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Right. Makes it clear it's one head, one crown. There we go. We're back to the Game of Thrones concept for yeah. succession. And he just wants to know if Frank is is with him. And you know, and we've seen there's been this uh, little bond between Kendall and Frank. We've seen in previous episodes this season, in fact. So, again, it's another episode where we see Kendall kind of laying the groundwork for doing something which is kind of like goes against the others. He's the one who he's the, he's the one who wants to originally tank the deal to begin with. That's he he starts that, not Roman. He's the one who wanted to go the negative campaign about his dad, you know, after his dad passed. Kendall is pushing the action. It's very, it's very, yep. very interesting. He, he, he is and he wants it. And the last comment I want to make is I thought it, it was sort of brilliant commentary on a meta level that this huge fight takes place between them on election eve. It, it's almost like. Uh, it's almost like a representation of where our country is that, that it's so toxic Two people who can't even talk to each other and, and just slaying the vilest of, of things at each other. Right. And I, I thought that was, uh, it's certainly a, a compelling backdrop to set this against the election Eve. And that's the whole purpose is to get excited about the election. Right, right, right. And, as we get as we near the the close of the episode, you know we we left Tom on the terrace there. He does come in. He pretty much tells everyone to go, you know, because he's really tired. He's supposed to go to sleep, but no one really pays him any mind. No one really pays attention to anything he says. In fact, the most reaction he gets from anyone actually is from Shiv herself, um, where she just essentially says, "Fuck Tom." Yeah, even though she's apparently, I don't think she's ever going to fuck Tom again, but. uh <laughs> But it, but it almost the fact that he does that and he walks out and I don't think it phases anybody, um, almost shows how fucking powerless the guy has become. You know, he he's a host who can't even get who can't even clear out his own party. Um, we also it's also decided towards here that that Roman is going to give the speech at the at the big funeral shindig whatever which i'm sure will be at some giant church in new york because i already know that's where they film stuff so yeah we all know that i am looking forward to that because i was like i don't i I mean i love jeremy strong he's had great scenes but i i don't want him to be the one giving a speech (laughs) i was hoping it was going to be roman because i'm really fascinated to see how they'll what he'll do will he write something in advance will it be off the cuff Will he drop f bombs? <laughs> very. Will he break? Will he show him? Will he break down? Will we see a tear? I'm. I'm very, very, very curious about it. Well, I had I had two thoughts about that, and and I the the funeral has taken so long to get to. I almost wonder if the funeral is going to be the last episode, 
Hmm. And the la- and the funeral is going to be literally the funeral for the royal f- Roy family as we know it. Um, that's the first thought. And the second thought I had, I was really concerned and I, and the first time, but when I watched it the second time, every time Tom says he's tired, the way he says it, I'm almost curious if Shiv and him will never reconcile and he dies, he drops dead of a heart attack and she has the child and never tells him. Wow. Man, if that happens, I'm, I'm going to be mad at you because I'll be all, it's like you pre-spoiled me. No, I'm trying, I'm trying to pre-grieve here. Now you're gonna pre-grieve. <laughs> pre- well, I told you now, so pre-grieve. I'm pre-grieving for Tom now. Great. <laughs> well, the grieving of Tom already begins at the end of the set, at the very last shot, because we see we see now, like I said, the parallel bookend. They're in the apartment, but they are separate, and it is somber, and they are not sleeping. And we close with the shot of Tom just looking straight up, whatever, kind of doing his best, Kendall, quite frankly. Um, and that's the that's the end of the episode. And yeah, again, you know, you begin and end with Tom and Shiv. I mean, you guys, this is a Tom and Shiv episode more than anything else. And um, it's a like you said, it could be the one if they only submit one. I think they can only submit one. This might be the one that they submit. We'll see what the, the remaining ones are. You know, she might want to submit the one where her dad actually dies because she has has some good stuff here. But it's pro- it could be this one. Um, Hey, you know what? What else can you say? An, another really solid, powerful episode. I'm I'm glad that I'm trying to watch them like the night of, and I'm glad we don't podcast right after because I, I need some time to digest them. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, great episode, man. Yeah, great, great episode, and and proof that great stuff doesn't have to have you know gunfights or sword fights or crazy stuff that this is, you know, just people talking in relationships, but written in a just marvelous way. Yeah. No dragons required. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty then. So I believe another show came on directly after this. If you were watching it live on HBO, as opposed to checking out stuff on HBO Max, however, which which is now going to be called Max in a week or two, because you know they're so brilliant there at HBO Discovery, whatever they call themselves. Oh boy! The next show that we talk about here is Barry. This is the fifth episode of the season. Is it is it an eight episode season? It's the fifth episode, right? Tricky legacies. Now, we left off the previous episode after, you know, a succession <laughs> of, well, people being killed <laughs> and being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then suddenly a mysterious possible flash forward that we weren't sure was, wait, is this reality or not? Well, we discover in this episode, yeah, it's reality, all right? We are... Eight years later, they they do tell us that. Now, I will say right now that I, and I believe I've already written a description from when this is posted on Facebook. Uh, This is, with no, without a doubt, this would have to be the most polarizing episode of Barry so far. Um, uh, Unless we, there might be another one in the next three, but this is the one where 
and I hadn't watched it yet because <laughs> I didn't watch it till the next day and I was trying to avoid, you know, social, I, but I just got react. I just saw like references made to it. Fortunately, nothing told me anything, just people going, oh, you know, I saw negative reactions to it, quite frankly. And I don't want to just, I don't want to just be like blowing smoke up Pater and, and company's ass here. I understand the reaction. I'm not saying I completely agree with it, but I understand it. And I don't think people are necessarily wrong for some of the things that they've said. So like, I've, I did read some things after I'd watched the episode and whatever. Um, we've, when we've talked about this series, we've, and I've, you know, I know I've been saying it a number of times. This is a very risk. This has become a, a with each, which with each, Oh, I'm going to say successive. With each successive season, this becomes a show that takes bigger risks. It takes risks in its narrative style. It takes risks in how its characters are becoming more and more um, harder to root for or more unlikable for, for people who like their characters to be like, you know, people like their Ted Lassos. Let's put it that way. And I you know, really like Ted Lasso. And, but the one thing is like, yeah, you also like like 90% of the characters on except for like, two or three. Um, So Barry, the show has a lot of balls in that sense, you know? And when you do time jumps, and we've watched a lot of shows that have done time jumps over the years, you know, whether it be, you know, the final episode or, or a later season, you know, you know, the current season of marvelous, uh, Mrs. Maisel is doing time jump things, just the beginning of episodes until they had one episode where, you know, it, it seemed like it was in the entire episode and stuff. And I think that's actually being done very well, quite frankly. Um, we, Shows that you and I watch over the years, be it Mad Men or The Americans, all have to have some form of a time jump. We've talked about shows where we expected there to be one, you know, because there had to be one. Better Call Saul dealt with, you know, levels of time jumps, which which was always baked into it from, from the beginning. Um, I don't know up until the previous episode if we were expecting that would be the case with Barry. I, I'll say I did not. I did not expect there to be a time jump. I on did the show not like either. This. I did not either. So the fact that that's where they went is a big risk for a number of reasons. The first one that comes to mind again, we've got three more episodes, and it's very possible, hopefully even likely, that story threads that seem to have been forgotten about will be picked up again. You know. For example, you know, what happened with, you know, Noho Hank after all that, you know, we, we've just left that, you know, we, we see Kusanel at the end of this, but we, we, we are robbed of the reaction and everything that happens with the death of his son. Does that not mean we might not still get it? Of course we might get it. They might, they might flash back to all those things, or maybe they'll, we'll just be told, I don't know how they're going to handle it. And maybe I, and I will admit, I do like the idea, like, you know what? I really don't know what they're going to, what they're doing right now. Because the way this episode ends, it ends in a way where it feels like, okay, there might only be one more episode. Oh, wait, there's three more episodes. You know, what happened to Fuchs? You know, is he still in, you know, there's all these things we need to find out about. Also, Barry is a show that, and I, we've talked, I think, before about it's, it's, 
it's funny at times and it's usually because of just some, you know, the oddness or absurdities that happen from time to time, but it's not, it's not a laugh riot kind of a show by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't, there's not much to laugh at in this episode. It's not that there, there are things again, I, I keep using the word absurd. There are even absurdities that are in this episode, like his fixation, of learning about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and and even when he discovers all these negative things about him, oh, shocker, and how he, he can't stop going there. Or, you know, the absurdity of the videos he chooses to show his son when he's trying to get him, you know, get, get the idea of playing baseball off his mind. And you actually, if you actually pause and take a look at the different things, like, all right, this is, this is some really sick shit. Here. Yeah. Yeah, that was like the one of the disturbingly funny things. Yes. It's also funny when you think about the show and the premise of the show when we went in the very first season was, you know, a hitman finds himself in basically an acting class. And so uh, it, the idea of mocking all these, you know, wannabe actors and the idea of, of uh, and the different training and things that they do. And then we see this, Fast forward eight years later and the most extreme version of method acting ever where they have, you know, where they have pretty much become the parts to a certain extent, especially, especially Barry, because Barry has undergone more of a genuine transformation or at least has attempted that. Whereas Sally, Sally's acting and she's kind of shut off from everything. I mean, the fact that she's doing something where she's putting on a wig even takes on the air of stagecraft all the time. Um, but I've I've never really had sympathy for Sally ever on this sh- series. But it's in this episode, I feel like she's just been stripped of so much. And it's... What's the word I'm looking for? Not... I don't know. It, it, I don't know how to phrase it right. It, it's just it, it. It feels like she's just in such a deep, dark place, and it, almost soulless to to a certain extent. And you know, and 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 I'm not just talking about what she does as far as with the the guy at the diner. Look how she treats her t- talks to her son and treats. Her, I mean, outside of them getting in the bathtub during that one moment. Do we think she really cares? I, I don't think so. She's just basically a, an empty vessel. Like, like there's not much left. And it, and it is it is ironic that the thing she's doing every day is to have to act. And I have to give kudos. There was a line that I wrote down. I didn't take many notes. Um, but I like where the kid says, like, to, to their son, says, why does your mom have hair on top of her hair? That's a great line. Yeah. I love that line. It's also interesting that Barry only spent, what, X number of days in prison, right? From my, I can't remember how long. I was not on the impression he was in prison for very long. Whatever I think of. Considering his, now what he's undergone, it's eight years later. He's Clark now, um, and he's found religion, or at least he's he's trying to believe they found religion, and they're watching watching religious programs, and the way he talks about things and addresses things with his son, even his son's apology has this weird, almost 
creepily Mormon-like culty kind of way of, of, of speaking about wanting to be in harmony with each other, whatever. And I, I remember my, my note, that's one of the only notes I wrote. <laughs> you usually need to stay in prison <laughs> a lot longer to have the religious <laughs> conversions. He got it. And he was barely in prison at all. And Sally's an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. I mean, ugh. again, I, I ne- I've never felt really all that bad for Sally. But now, when I watch what everything's culminating in this, this um, episode and you realize she made that decision. Again, we'll see. We have three more episodes to go, but she makes a decision that she's going to go with him. And obviously she certainly didn't have to. And maybe, right. and now you watch like, should she have done that? I don't, I don't, it's hard to say that she should have. I think it was a bad decision. But, you know, I think she's made a lot of bad decisions. I think that's kind of a, maybe that's a theme for her character, quite frankly. Well, to go back to your original point, that the episode itself, the word that I, that came to mind when it was over was unsettled. I was unsettled by the whole thing because I was in a new universe. Um, And my initial reaction is to say, that I liked it, but I didn't love it, but I've thought about it a lot. And I think I'm going to need the context of future episodes to see how I feel about it. I, this, this episode was such a departure that without knowing where it goes, it, if, you know, at the end where Barry says he's going to kill Cousineau, if like, we're just suddenly back in LA and that's the story and we don't sort of handle anything with the world that was created in this episode. I probably on the whole won't like it as much. Um, now I'm not saying I want to spend a lot of time in that world, but like if it was just like a one episode departure, uh, I don't know. I don't know that it will have been worth it unless we get some of why that journey was there and where it leads us. Uh, but that's just, that's how I feel about it, thinking about it now. Hmm. I'm not sure if I, yeah, I got to think about that. I'm not sure if I feel the same way. Um, but, you know, it's to each their own kind of a thing. I mentioned Better Call Saul before, so in a weird way it reminds me of how we suddenly jump to um, the black and white Nebraska um Gene storyline and just abandon everything else where where we had left. I mean, with that weird, you know, which and that obviously, if you do the math, is a sizable time jump. You know, it's, it's years. Um, and you know, there were people, there were a number of people, viewers who had their issues with that as well. Maybe not as much as this because there was still there was still something about Odenkirk's performance and there was still certain moments of levity or I was like, Oh, look, there's Carol Burnett and stuff like that, whatever. The problem I think I would have with this episode and maybe other people would as well is one of the many things this episode, well, I shouldn't say many, one of the things this episode is missing that I wouldn't say for any other episode of Barry Except for, I mean, I guess you can stretch it to the moment when Cousineau shows up at Warner Brothers. I guess you could use that one, but that's a really a big enough stretch as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing fun about this episode. 
it isn't and even even the previous one where a lot of really dark shit happened there was still fun to be found and i didn't find anything fun about this and i get it we've you've talked about other shows that kind of you know go well beyond that you know you use atlanta as an example which is a you know classic at this point example of that with the the teddy perkins episode teddy perkins i say it right Okay, the Teddy Perkins episode, or one one or two other ones, um, some of which I think Teddy Perkins episode is a brilliant episode. I think some of their episodes they had in their final season or final two part season, I don't think worked as well in my personal opinion. I think they kind of abandoned the narrative, and I, I give them credit for being creative and taking a chance. Just because you're creative and take a chance doesn't mean it actually works. But, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit for it, but I also felt they kind of wasted my time a little bit. Um, the concern here is that we've only got a few episodes left, and you do this, and now you have two problems now. On one hand, it's what you said. It's like, we've just jumped eight years, and have you established enough for me to understand what what's going on here and how these things happened? Or do they get no explanation? Do Do we just fill them in ourselves? Because everything about how you went from, how did you get from being in that, in her apartment to having this weird house in the, in what looks like in the middle of, of a desert and her having a job at, you know, at, at, at wherever this diner is, whatever. But the problem is you got that, but you have everything you kind of abandoned from before. And that's, and I, I touched on a couple of things, but it's everything. You know, it's not just the Cousinau stuff. It's not just the Fuchs stuff. It's not just the Noho um, Hank stuff. And it's also, what's his name? Um, the, Moss Jim. sitting outside yeah. the apartment what, what, what and sees her go in. Yeah. How did they, how did they get Pat? I mean, how did he get in there in the first place? But, but how the hell did he get both of them out of there is an even better question. And and just and what have they been doing for these past eight years? Wouldn't this guy have been hunting him this whole time? Right. I mean, it stands to reason, and he certainly has... Mili- you know, covert military-like experience, much the way Barry does, based on the things he says. You know, is that is that guy from Vanity Fair still speaking German? I kind of want to know. <laughs> you know, it, it, it. So that's why it's a very jarring time jump, and because it, it, it's the whole episode. And again, we've got three more to go. I gotta believe we're gonna get those holes filled in, but. The thing about the one, the, if there's one thing the two shows that we talk about on this ser- on this podcast have in common, they don't tend to be predictable. They they will zig when we think they're going to zag, and or whatever phrase you like to use there. And they've certainly done that to the extreme here on Barry. I I they may very well not fill in all those holes. They don't they don't necessarily have to have a narrative where everything's all tied up. So, I mean, this is a show where I do believe. If so, if you were to ask me, do you think Barry's gonna die by the end of the se- by the end of the se- series? Yeah, I kind of do, but but it wouldn't shock me one way or the other. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I I truly don't know where they're going with this series. And I, again, that's a good thing. I just wish this episode had just. I just wish there had just been a little bit more fun in it for me. I mean, I, I tried. I mean, I again, I didn't, you said, I liked it, but I certainly didn't love it. 
I don't think that opinion is going to change if I watch it again. I, I, I just think, okay, that's, that's all right. And I'm all about being different and experimental. Hey, I love the fly episode from Breaking Bad, for example, or I love different bottle episodes of this or create whatever, or Perkins episode of that, whatever. But this one, I want to like this more than I do. And it's kind of bothering me that I don't because I really want to. I think the problem with it ultimately is that this episode gave me anxiety about where about how the plane's going to land. And I, I know too much has been made of the endings of shows. And, and look, if the, the final episode of this, if I don't like it, I'm still going to love this show. I mean, it's been an amazing ride. And I, and I will say the, the positive about this episode is, boy, do I want to see what happens next week after that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, no. Right. And, and I, I, I agree with that assessment as well. I mean, there are shows that I, maybe I hated the final episode or even the final season doesn't mean I didn't like the show overall. You know, you know, I like the first four seasons of Dexter. That's, that's good enough. Don't have to watch the other four or three or four or whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm actually mostly okay with the way lost ended. You know, I've got some issues with it. Not as many as some, not as few as others. Same with that final season. I've got issues with it, you know, but there are things I do like in it. But people, say, but there, there's a, there are people who are very negative about it. Like, no, no, no. I, 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 I was a, I'm, I'm a, still a huge Lost fan. I'm not as fanatical about it anymore the way some people continue to be. But that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I just chose a different show to be that way about. I'm like that about Breaking Bad instead. That's all because you know, hey, it's shorter, it's tighter, and they, you know, they didn't do some stupid flash sideways. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. There will never be a good excuse for that. Anyway, um. Yeah, so I, I agree, uh, and you know the thing about the show, you got to hand it to them because they still do the thing where they don't give you anything for the next episode. It's like, oh look, he's laying out a gun. Yeah, that 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 helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, wait till next week, fuckers. <laughs> you know, at this rate, it might be like if I if I end up watching a little bit later in the day, I'm like, that's like, should I watch Barry first just to get that out of the way? Then I'll watch Succession. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I think I think we're kind of pretty much in in in, in sync on this one. And I'll, the only thing I'll go further with it and say, like, like I said at the very top of this description of the episode, look, I understand why this wasn't everybody's cup of tea. It shouldn't have been everybody's cup of tea, quite frankly. And I think they knew that when they did it. They're like, okay, we're going to lose some people with this one. But hopefully they've stuck around this long. They'll still, they'll still give us one more episode to kind of, like, let's see where it goes. And if, and if the next one is even more kind of annoying, then they'll, then they might bail. Cause, you know, who cares? They're not, it's on HBO. They don't have to worry about ratings anyway. Right, right. Um, is there anything else I want to say about it? Yeah, I'll just, I, I gotta give her, uh, I don't, what, I, you know what? I've never written down the actress's name who plays Sally. And I should know her name. Well, pretend I've said her name. I gotta give her credit. The scene at the diner with, um, is his name, was it Bevan? Bevel? The, the Devil, di- Bevel, the something be- I think like it's that. Bevel somewhere. The, 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 the dude who's got you know ha- got a bit of a crush on her and 
and, and so on. The entire scene from when they're sitting together, you know, at, at, in the booth to what happens in the bathroom, um, was very stark. And I was very impressed with her acting chops there. And I kept thinking, wow, if you were this good an actress all along, <laughs> the, the choking, especially. I mean, that, I mean, that talk about being a scene making you uncomfortable. I mean, that was like, going, oh. And again, there's a moment there. There's a moment there. I thought she was, I thought he was actually going to die, that she was going to actually kill him. And I kept thinking, well, how are you going to get away with that? Yeah. <laughs> but her, <coughs> excuse me, her name is Sarah Goldberg. Sarah Goldberg. Excellent job, Sarah. Well done. Yeah, she was great. There was real menace, and the one of the things we talk about about this show, the craft of it, um, they hold on that scene like an uncomfortably long time. Like the the tension in that bathroom, mm-hmm. that scene lasts so long you think he's dead, and and I thought that was really, really ramped up the tension. Right, absolutely, absolutely. All right, I think we can wrap this up now. So, like I said, we had a great episode of Succession, and we had an episode of Barry that I'm sure there are people who think it was great, and I'm sure there are other people who are like, what did I just watch? So, I put it in the polarizing category, and we'll see where things go for the next three. Um, But hopefully, um, it will be as compelling. If nothing else, it was a compelling episode, and that's important. Agreed. So definitely compelling. Definitely, definitely made me question everything I'm watching as I'm watching. It's like, okay, uh, you know, even if I was a little impatient with it, thank God it's not an hour long episode though. That would have an hour of that would have really driven me up a wall. I think. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I it, but it, but it was enough to to have me think. I mean, we're thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty then. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you did. I think we did a pretty damn good job there. Guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page, you can have conversations with us about shows like Barry and Succession and so many more. That's also where you can comment on these shows. And I don't know. I, I probably won't com- I probably won't repeat anything you say on the podcast, but maybe you know I do that on another one. But maybe Brian will because you know, he's more likable than I am. Now, you can find us. You've already found us. Why am I telling you where you can find us? I'm supposed to. You can find us on most podcast platforms, sh- such as Apple Podcasts. That's where you can also rate and review us. Or you can simply go to podbean.com, and you can look up Serious TV Drama Podcast. You can level up, just put in the letters STVD, and I believe we come up for all 379, oh my God, of our podcasts. Oh, by the way, if you're really bored, go look up Scott Forgot the 80s. It's a really good podcast, I hear. We got one more uh, rating and review there, but it's from someone who's been a co-host, so I don't know if it counts. Anyway, you can also, <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram. Our handle there is Serious TV Drama. One day I'll gotta, gotta put some new pictures up there. And as always, you can also follow us on the Twitter. We haven't abandoned it yet. Um, our handle there is at STVD Podcast. That's STVD, of course, as in Serious TV Drama. We will be back next week with the next episodes of both Succession and Barry. Um, there is a chance. I don't want to. I don't want to hold us to it because you know people, schedules, lives, whatever. It's a possibility that I know we re- tend to record these on Thursday evenings, so I know that several days have passed, 
And I know that's maybe to our detriment, so maybe we don't get quite as many clicks and downloads, whatever. I thought I got an email from some surveying group, which claims that we get a lot more listeners than I think we have, but whatever, I don't understand. Um, it's very possible that that final, that we will try to do a podcast sooner than normal on the final week, so you don't have to wait till the end of the week for our insights and opinions on the final episodes of both Barry and Succession. I, are they both, the, the way, they, have they scheduled it where they're both going to be the same night? I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. It's I, possible. I am. You know what? Even though it's really bad form, so you're all going to hear me clicking, I'm going to look that up right now because I need to know. I already know when the final succession is, so let me look when the final Barry is. And, how, and yes, they are airing the finales to both shows. They're both airing on May 28th. So, yeah. Oh, perfect. That's excellent, actually. So we we will if we can. I'm not playing darts that week, so I'm I know I'm able to. So it's up to uh, up to uh, the lawyer boy over here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brian, once again, thank you so much for joining me on this excursion through two incredibly unique and fascinating shows to talk about on the podcast, and they are made that much more so when I get to hear your. Southern dulcet tones talk about them. Well, Scott, thank you. Uh, thanks to the listeners. And I want to send a special shout out to a person that joined us on the Batman podcast a while ago, Greg, uh, a friend of the podcast. Um, Greg had a loss. And Greg, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, Scott and I are thinking of you and you're in our thoughts. Yeah, Greg, I, I feel the same way. Alrighty then. So thank you so much for listening out there. And until next time, um, I don't really have, I never have a final line. So we'll talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.